sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. All right, I hope you got a lot out of that uh, conversation with Bodie at UGA about wildflowers. So interesting, and I loved that. And Todd in Cartersville called, he was listening in, and said, well, how to keep birds out of the wildflower seed before it sprouts, before it germinates, right? Um, I did not have the chance to ask Bodie that, but Todd, my advice for that would be using a light netting or screening over the soil um, as they're starting to germinate. And then that way when birds or bunnies or anybody is kind of trampling on it, they're walking over the screening. Um, I, I was blessed when we inherited this house that we bought 11 years ago, 12 years ago. Well, I inherited, not the house, but uh, old screen doors that were in the shed, in the garden shed in the back. And I have forever used the screens on those old screen doors. And that has been so valuable to me uh, to put over the drainage hole at the bottom of some of my pots, to use larger pieces of that screening for exactly that, protecting the soil and uh, delicate seeds before they really start to germinate. So that's one idea. But I really, really was fascinated by Bodie's Uh, solar idea of how to burn out all of the weed seeds and all of that in the soil once it's been really worked up using that plastic in the summertime and just letting the heat penetrate that and it could get up to I think 140 degrees or something she said and that's going to kill away all the seeds in the top of the soil so again you know thanks to my my relationship with the folks at the University of Georgia Cooperative Extension and all the professors and PhDs and all of that who have always been a part of the show and given us some great advice. So we'll probably talk a little bit more about wildflowers, but now jumping out to the phones, 404-872-0750. Mrs. Galloway in Douglasville has been so patient. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thanking, thanking you for taking my call. Of course. I have a hummingbird bush that is just out of, it's over 25 years old, so I'm I've had a good luck with it, and um, somehow or another, this year, I must have been at the point of the growing season, evidently, my grass cutter cut it about three feet down, oh, no. and I've had good growing on it, but I've never had any more flowers. I've only had about 10 flowers on that bush this year, and it's every, it was every bit of about 15 feet tall and 15 feet wide. I just want to know what's the best time of the year to cut it back. Okay, so let's clear up exactly what you have because you're calling it kind of a, a hummingbird bush, but there's also people use the term hummingbird vine, and that could apply yeah. to a couple of different plants. Um, one I have in mind is that cypress vine that has like an evergreen type look with the foliage, but then those little star red flowers, or like a trumpet right. vine. Yes. So which that's one? That's what I have. The trumpet vine. Yeah, that's okay, it. Very good. So what probably happened is when the landscapers cut that back, they probably cut it when it still had a lot of buds on it, and that's why you're not seeing as many flowers. So give it one more growing season, and it'll probably be back up to speed. But when you're reducing something like that, any kind of flowering vine, the first things you want to do when you think about pruning it you know, remove any dead or damaged stems first. And you're very selective in how you prune, but of course you're going to want to keep it thinned out or else it could be pretty invasive. Um, After you see what's dead or damaged, then everything that's overly tangled or kind of wadded up, and then pruning it to direct its growth as well so that you can make sure if it's trellised, it's going to keep going in the right direction. But all of that to be said, um, intensive pruning I would do in early spring. 
Okay. Because that's still going to allow it a chance to set some buds and then you'll have some flowers for summertime. But I wouldn't wait, you know, late spring because then again, we're going to lose some flowers. That must have been when it was cut. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a bummer. I know everybody always uh, suggests around February is the best time. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay. So March. March or February and March, not not in March or later, but um, I think that's what happened. It must cut all the buds off. Yeah, because I, think I so, still didn't have any. I didn't have any 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 hummingbirds at that bush at all. I just had had to put some of their uh, feeding. Uh, ideas in my my yard. Yeah, with and and that's feeders. the good thing, you know. If we make one seasonal mistake, luckily on ninety nine percent of plants, it's not forever. It's just going to affect maybe one season of blooms or whatever. But boy, I could get on a roll about landscapers, irresponsible landscapers, not the good ones, but the ones that just come into your yard with the the saws and the chainsaws and the you know not knowing what they're cutting back that kills me right. that they start pruning stuff in the landscape that if you go out there and say well what is that identify that for me and they don't even know they have no business cutting it so i'm really sorry that happened to you but the good news is it's it's not a forever mistake okay well i right now at this time of the year uh i do have an awful lot i can tell there are a lot of dead limbs so i can go ahead and cut those out Absolutely. That, yep. Anything okay, that's yeah. dead or diseased or just not growing the way you want it to, you in 12 months out of the year, cut those away for sure. Because all that's doing is kind of stealing nutrients that need to be directed to other parts of the plant. Yep. That may help it quite a bit. So I appreciate you taking my call. And again, thanks again. And we love your show. Thanks, Miss Galloway. So good to hear from you. And that was an excellent question, too. Um, I did receive a question similar from Dolores on Facebook a couple of days ago. Uh, Is it okay to cut back my butterfly bush and my limelight hydrangeas? Those are the panicle types. And my answer was kind of the same. February or March is best for that. I always think butterfly bush in February, uh, roses in February around Valentine's Day. The reason why is because things uh, things that flower in the summertime are best to be cut at that point. But think about if we cut now, I'll explain to you why you don't cut flowering things right now. Um, A, azaleas, rhododendrons, things like that, that flower in the early spring, they immediately, once they drop those flowers, come May, June, July, whatever, some of the azaleas encores are still going, but generally, once they're finished blooming, they immediately take all that energy and start setting buds. And all winter long, they have the buds for the flowers that you're going to see in the spring. So if you cut now, you're going to cut away some of the the flowers, you know, that you'll see next year, but also a reason to not prune some stuff right now, flowering stuff anyways, is any cut you make now, it's going to tell the plant it's going to induce new growth. The the plant is going to want to grow new shoots and things from where you've made the cut. And then God forbid we get a cold snap in three, four weeks from now, which is likely uh, for sure. So all of that tender new growth that that plant just put out all this energy, you know, growing and, and putting out for you is then going to be bitten with the, the cold frost or whatever. So that's another reason why you don't want to do a lot of pruning right now because that new growth is just going to be way too tender and can't withstand the colder temperatures that are coming. So yeah, the the trumpet vine, butterfly bush, the panicle hydrangeas, February, March is a great time to do that. So speaking of cold weather, I think uh, Bart in Sonoya has a similar question about what to do. Hey, good morning, Bart. Welcome to Green and Growing. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Absolutely. Just wanted to get your opinion how to best winterize your roses in terms of mulch and such to get them through the winter safely. 
Now, what kind do you have? Knockouts. Okay, okay. Those are tough. That's the only reason I asked. I'm not really good with like very rare varieties of roses or even climbing roses, but knockouts are the toughest you're going to find. I think they're going to be fine, but it is a good idea, especially with as far south as you are. Uh, there's very small likelihood down in South Fulton, Coweta County, that they're going to get snipped by any kind of cold. But um, mulching is always a good idea, whether it's leaves, whether it's pine straw or actual mulch, putting it around the base of the plant and not really cutting anything major right now. Um, with my knockouts, I definitely still have to cut some stems away from the walk because they're just coming over facing east and leaning over my front walk. So but the major, major pruning, again, to those, too, I would wait until around Valentine's Day to do. So right now, just let them be, mulch them. Um, there's not even really any kind of protector you need to put on them as far as any kind of fungicide or insecticide. They're they're going to go to sleep. Very good. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I know. Isn't, isn't that the kind of answer you want to hear? Like, there's nothing you have to do. <laughs> simple. Yes. So, no, I'm glad you asked, though, because, yeah, in anticipation of cold weather, we start to really protect the things that we care most about. So, Bart, you're you're good. I'm cutting you loose this weekend. You don't have to do anything. Thank you, Ashley. <laughs> have a great weekend. You too. Thank you so much. Yeah, good question. And speaking of mulch, too, okay, you're weighing in your mind right now to go to the nursery or to go to the big box store this weekend, and you're thinking, well, I probably should get some mulch. I'm probably going to buy five, six, seven, 20 bags of mulch. Well, let me offer you something free, okay? Why don't we just go into the yard, into a neighbor's yard, if you have their permission, and get all those leaves. I went for a really nice walk in the neighborhood yesterday, and the constant drone of blowers just about drove me absolutely crazy. Now, I know some of you have yards where it is not realistic to rake. I get that. I understand that. But the leaves that you've already got on the ground, boy, if you can use a little electric mower or even a gas-powered mower, mow over those, mulch them down, buy a leaf mulcher. Um, you don't even have to mulch them down, really. You can keep the leaves full size if you want, but rake them, get them in a pile, carry them over to a garden bed, carry them over to around a tree or a shrub. That's free mulch right there for you. It's going to put nutrients back in the soil. It's going to serve as mulch, which means it's going to retain moisture in the soil. It's going to block out a lot of the sunlight from reaching weed seeds, so you'll have less weeds. Leaves are going to do all the same things that that bagged mulch does that you pay so much for. So, just an idea. If you're looking for something to do with the leaves, don't throw them away. Uh, 404-872-0750. A question from Melissa about that wildflower conversation. And coming up when we return, Seth Hawkins from the Georgia Forestry Commission with the Georgia Leaf Watch. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. From Channel 2, soon to be Chief Meteorologist Brad Nitz. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Cloudy today and breezy, a stray light shower or drizzle possible, but it's going to be comfortable. High of 67 tomorrow, a high of only 63 because of the showers and storms that are moving in. So still taking your calls on green and growing. But first up now with stage is Seth Hawkins from the Georgia Forestry Commission because we get together. We do the Georgia Leaf Watch Report and update for you every Saturday in October. Hey there, Seth. Good morning, Ashley. How are you? I am good. So, you know, I was really impressed with how things were last Saturday, but if it's possible for it to get even better, it just did, didn't it? Yeah, you know, we've gotten really lucky. Everything's kind of culminated with the weather. We haven't got any big heavy wind events or anything. So everything, a lot of the leaf colors sticking on the trees right now. And um, yeah, so this weekend we'll have the quintessential Halloween weekend. Um, you're going to see peak leaf color change at a lot of different elevations. Um, and so 
You get up in the higher elevations, obviously above 3,000 feet. We're actually kind of getting a little past peak, but that's actually kind of good for a lot of your listeners that maybe don't have to drive as far, go as far up in the mountains to find leaf color and might just be hanging out in their backyard this weekend. Yeah, I mean, like me being in the metro Atlanta area, I mean, I can be on one street and see a green, red, orange, and yellow tree kind of all within, you know, 180 degrees. So that's awesome. And a lot of the maples... Um, are all showing intense shades of all of that, either red or yellow or orange. I mean, just an incredible tree this time of year. Yeah, yeah. The red maples and sugar maples are really, um, you know, living up to their own. Um, Everyone plants them with fall color in mind a lot of times. So we're really seeing those really come in. I know at least over in Rome, in the Rome area where I live, the sugar maples, I mean, are like bright, bright orange for a lot of them are. And the red maples, obviously, like you said, the whole myriad of reds, orange, purples, all that. Now, what do you know about ginkgos? I mean, I know they're beloved for their fan-shaped leaves and the yellow color, but as of a week or two ago, they hadn't really started turning yet. Are they a little later than other trees? Yeah, so ginkgos typically run. They're towards the end of the leaf color change season, Um, so they're going to run late with your oaks. I know they're all really starting to turn that really vivid yellow. Mm -hmm. The cool thing with ginkgos is they're going to drop their leaves like pretty much all at once. So you're going to have a super bright yellow canopy, and then all of a sudden you're going to have a whole bunch of really pretty yellow leaves around it, almost like a little mulch ring, a little fairy ring around the tree. So they do have a unique property that they drop pretty much all at once. Um, actually, over in Rome, they call it Ginkgo Watch at the end of leaf <laughs> color season, towards the end of October. So uh, you can get it on that if you live in northwest Georgia. Well, how long do you think they, once they all turn yellow, do they just stay on the tree three or four days and then they drop, or do they drop in one day? Um, Well, really, a number of things can determine that. But once they decide to drop, um, pretty much it's like a 24-hour event. Um, You know, like I said, even overnight, you can go out there and they're pretty much all going to be dropped. Then they have that really cool architecture and structure that ginkgos have when they don't have their leaves on. Yeah. Oh, those are so fun, man. Those are great trees. My first exposure to them was uh, a college student in Athens and seeing that in the downtown area along um, along the main street, along the main drag, you know, seeing those yellow trees, they're really something to see. So what else right now, northwest and northeast, has given off a lot of color? Yeah, so obviously, you know, we mentioned the maples, um, the yellow poplars have kind of started to run their course. They're looking a little more bronzy than yellow. Uh, beech and birch have really come into the understory and brought that really vivid yellow in. Um, the dogwoods and uh, sassafras are still sticking around with their yed- reds, but they're starting to fade a little bit. What's really coming into the show are the oaks. So the oaks are typically kind of the last ones to, to turn over. And um, so we're seeing a lot of northern red oak. Um, scarlet oak, I've noticed, is really showing off some great purples and reds. Um, if you're lucky enough to have a chestnut oak, they're showing off really vivid yellows as well right now. Wow. All right. So if we have time, Seth, give us maybe a park or an area in northwest Georgia that we could go see and then one in the northeast closer to South Carolina. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So um, obviously Cloudland Canyon, uh, we've got some great pictures. If you go on our website, at gatrees.org, or use the hashtag, hashtag GA Leaf Watch, you'll be able to find our leaf reports with all the pictures from our foresters. And I've seen some awesome pictures and seen some stuff personally coming out of Cloudland Canyon. Mm-hmm. Fort Mountain State Park, Rocky Mountain State Park, um, over there in far northwest Georgia in Chattooga County. It's showing some awesome color. Getting over in the more north-central, northeast, Vogel State Park. Um, mm-hmm. You can even just take the drive, Highway 75 from Hiawassee to Helen. Okay. Um, that is a really dramatic, uh, beautiful drive right now as well. Seth, man, you got, the, you got the goods. You got the info. Well, one more Saturday we'll be together, and we're going to have a lengthier conversation about the leaves and how they benefit the environment and kind of give some folks some new ideas. What do you say? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, leaf, uh, leaf fall, you know, you get done with that, and then it's time to start thinking about tree planting season and how we can use those leaves in this fall and nutrients. So, yeah, I that sounds great. Wait. Good. Well, Seth, have a good weekend. Thank you so much. And thanks for the reminder, too. Hashtag GA Leaf Watch if you're taking some of these fabulous pictures so we can all see them and the Georgia Forestry Commission can see them, too. We'll be right back to Green and Growing on WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Halfway through the show, it goes by so quickly. Thank you to Seth and Stacia at the Georgia Forestry Commission for great updates every Saturday in October. One of my favorite times of the year. Actually, not one of. There's four times of year and fall. Autumn is hands down my favorite time, but really a time to go adventure out and see North Georgia. If you never have, if you've always stuck inside the perimeter, you've got to get up there. There's so much to do. Pumpkin farms and apple orchards and just the drive, just the drive. Go find a canyon or a Tallulah Falls or something to go see and it's it's a great great uh, time of year for that so back to calls and in just a little bit I'm going to share some spooky plants that I posted on the Facebook page I I kind of post the same ones every year but I've but I've added a few to the list Um, and good morning to everybody jumping on the Facebook page Mark's on there Michael uh, Melissa and Wanda are up early and actually I do believe that Melissa not only was on the Facebook page, but she called the show too, right? <laughs> I did. How are you? <laughs> I am well. I'm I'm confused about the mint um, in the wildflower mix um, because we're always told don't put mint in a field, put mint in a container because it goes so nuts, right? Because it goes crazy. So is it like I understand the beans? Why you would put beans in a field because you're you're fixing the soil. Why the mint and what kind of mint? You know, I, I wish Bodie had elaborated, and I didn't see your question until after I'd finished uh, speaking with her. But yeah, I wish she had elaborated a little more on that, aside from the fact that it's good for pollinators, but so are a lot of the other things we have going on in there, right? So it seems like that mix of mint uh, may not be necessary, but I'm sure there's a science to it. I'm sure there's a reason. But the research that I've done, Melissa, on some of the seed packs that have, you know, the all-encompassing everything in them, the mint is a small portion of, you know, in in respect to everything else in that packet, it's small. And I just think with so much in such a small, compact area that I think it's not going to have the chance to thrive like it normally would because of the okay. competition and the close growing of everything else. I, I have faith that everything else is going to kind of keep that mint in check. Uh, but one of the most popular mints that you're going to find in those mixes is mountain mint by far. Okay. So that would that would definitely be the most popular one. Lemon, uh, lemon mint maybe as well, but mountain mint. I remember talking to Becky Griffin about that as far as attracting pollinators, and that is one of the favorites. All right, that's terrific. May I ask a quick of other course. question? Yeah, yeah. Or um, I have beautyberry in my yard. Oh, I love it. And it's kind of seeding right now. It's like the the pot the um, berries are getting hard. Do you harvest those, or do you just let it be? and let it go back into, let the birds take care of it, like as far as making more beautyberry. There is one that's native and one that's not, and I was so glad that uh, Ellen weighed in on that on the Facebook conversation a little bit ago and pointed it out to me, like, Ashley, be careful when you're talking about how pretty this beautyberry is because, yeah, one's native 
and one's not, and the one that is invasive, I think the berries line up a little bit differently on the stem uh, to know which type you have. But I think I would probably be cautious of letting the the berries fall and overseed in case you do have the one that can be considered a little bit invasive. Um, but as far as like harvesting the seed and, and growing from that, I've not done that. I'm sure you can, but I don't I don't really know how. Do you know which type you have? Um, I'm not quite sure. I, I got it from the Athens Botanical Garden at their sale. So Oh, then that probably <laughs> yeah, that probably is the native one, so that's really good news for sure. Um, yeah, but thank you very much. Um I, I'm I'm curious to find out uh, more about the mint and how it amends the soil. Yeah, and you how- know, and I am gonna talk to Bodie again next week. Um we're gonna have a conversation. I don't know if I'm gonna have her on live or actually record it and hang on to it for later in November. But I want to ask her about holiday plants because her being in horticulture um, at UGA, she wanted to talk about poinsettias and Christmas cactus and all these kinds of things, paper whites and stuff. And I thought that was good advice for coming up. So I will ask her that because that is a legit valid question, you know, how it could be invasive and kind of overrun all the other things. So I will put that on my list of stuff to ask her. So I'll get back with you on Facebook when I have an answer, but I'll also share it just because other folks may be wondering that too. All right. Well, have a terrific day. You too. Always appreciate you, Melissa. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good day. Yeah. Melissa is one of those that's on the Facebook page and always weighing in with thoughtful stuff, sharing photos. And I know a lot of you do as well. So jump on there and become our community of friends. We have about, I think, 4,300 friends on the Facebook page. Um, Just search Green and Growing WSB. Try to post something every day and if I don't, I'm sorry. Uh, it gets It's a lot of work, but I love it. I, I'm a one-man band, and I love keeping up with stuff and sharing with you uh, things that I see. And later today, I'm going to Oakland Cemetery for a tour that I set up for donors to our uh, WSB Radio Carathon back in July. If they donated a certain amount and did this and did that. Uh, they are going along with me and the director of garden, Sarah Henderson. We're going to have a great day out there, so you'll see pictures. And so many people that I've told Uh, that I'm doing that today, have said, oh my gosh, I've lived in Atlanta my entire life and I've never gone to Oakland Cemetery. And I was that way up until two years ago. I had never been either. But boy, once you go, you just want to keep going back. I mean, the gardens are spectacular. There's always something to see. And it being two days before Halloween, it's just going to be a lot of fun. So I'll be sharing that with you on the Facebook page. Just be on the lookout on what's going on out there. 404-872-0750. Up next is Ed calling from Shambly. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Of course. You have, you've uh, got a great question. What's going on? Well, I just ordered five fruit trees that are going to be delivered next week, and um, I have my soil test done and everything, and I just needed to double-check to make sure I'm thinking through this correctly. But the, the pH is 4.9, and it needs to be raised up between 6 and 7. Mm-hmm. And so I understand the lime is the amendment, or, or lime is the uh, way to do that. And but looking at the soil amendment or the I'm sorry, the soil test, it says add 230 pounds per thousand square feet. And so if I just divide by 100, I get 2.3 pounds per 10 square feet. Mm-hmm. Is that the way to do it? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, your math is absolutely oh. correct. Yeah. And uh, the okay. good thing about those uh, soil test results is it is easy to understand for the homeowner. And I love that you had to do the extra step of math because that would have scared me and I would have just handed it to my husband and said, here, figure that out. But (laughs) no, I mean, so like talk about that. How did you get the soil test done? Did you go directly through UGA or did you get the kit from Pike? What did you do? UGA. Okay. And how long did it take to get uh, the results Uh, back? Took about two weeks. That's awesome. Um, And uh, and I actually met the uh, master, or I don't know, the, the person in charge of the Cobb County 
uh, extension service. I'm actually in DeKalb. Okay. But she and I had such a great long conversation out at the uh, home show oh. that I drove all the way up to the top of Cobb County and top, you know, dropped it off there and, and talked with her even more. So it was great. That is awesome. And then this is just like the results that you got back, Ed, from that soil test. Isn't it just a kind of one pager and it gave you the, the results and what you need to do? Well, it's actually a two pager. Okay. It's the one pager with the soil test, but then if it actually identifies the specific fruit, like blackberries or blueberries, it also provides you a second page with helpful hints to do that as well. Wow. Okay, that's great. No, so you did the math right on the lime, and that is absolutely correct, to increase the soil pH so that it's less acidic, and we bring that number up a little bit. Lime is the thing to do. Um, Do a little bit of research. I mean, I've always heard that powdered lime is going to be sufficient, but as far as how it's bagged and what it looks like at the nursery or the big box store, I I don't have a clue, so do a little bit of research on that. Um, One of the great websites, in addition to the UGA Cooperative Extension, uh, which is extension.uga.edu, and I'm sure that's somewhere on that paperwork you've got. Also, the um, Home and Garden Information Center, if you just Google Clemson Cooperative Extension over there in South Carolina, their Home and Garden Information Center is wonderful as well to probably give you recommendations of the lime and all of that that you're going to need to do. Um, And then you can, you know, work that into the soil just a little bit. And this is the perfect time to plant. So if you wait another week or two, let that kind of work in um, and then plant those trees. You are timing everything out perfectly. That's why you get a soil test now so that we can take advantage of this wonderful weather in fall, which is the perfect time to plant new things. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, good. Well, hey, keep me up to date. So what did you get? I have dwarf uh, fruit trees on the screen, but which types did you do? Um, I, I got two apple trees. I got a golden delicious and an ambrosia, Okay. Uh, a celeste fig, Ooh. a Alberta peach, and a honey sweet pear. Wow. Those are great. And I've got room for others, but I, I'm trying to toy around with what I'm going to do. Yeah, um, don't overwhelm yourself right in the beginning because then you'll just walk away. You know, like people well, get all in. Yeah, well, I mean, this would be a good, interesting question as well, is I'd love to put a blueberry bush up near it, but the pH levels are significantly different from the fruit trees. Yeah, they, they like, like that barrier? acidic soil. Is there, is there like a barrier you can put between those two sections to keep, I guess, the pH on its side? <laughs> um, I mean, once you work the lime in to where you're installing the fruit trees, it is just going to go directly down and, you know, gather around the roots of those trees it's not like it's going to creep and crawl and spread over to another area where the blueberries are um so i mean i I don't know about a natural barrier you could probably just plant something kind of neutral in between some kind of hedge or whatever but i don't think it's necessary as long as they're a number of feet apart which they should be anyways the blueberries are probably going to be fine in the vicinity okay yeah just don't just don't put any lime over there Yep, well, I've got some extra room after even I've put these five trees. I've got room for about three or four others. So, um, yeah. And then also through either the Clemson Cooperative Extension or UGA, uh, print out, I think it's for free, the publication, if you can get your hands on it, the um, Home Orchard Spray Guide, because that is going to okay. save you some heartache. If you follow the guidelines in that Home Orchard Spray um, for the pesticides and fungicides and all of that just to stay ahead of stuff, that regimen is so important, and I think that's what a lot of folks neglect to do. They just think that this is a carefree project, and it's going to 
take care of itself. And that is not the case if you're going to be really religious about this. So follow those spray regimens, too, and you will be one of the fewer people that call me in the spring asking, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? What's going on? Because you've been on the spray <laughs> regimen. So uh, get ahead with that. Go ahead and, you know, pick up those things from the nursery as you're shopping this winter. And you are good to go. Will you please stay in touch and let me know how that works out? Absolutely. And this is all you're doing all this in Shambly, yeah? Yes. So yes. cool. Oh, my God. Well, we may make a field trip out to your house in a year, Ed. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> well, the, the the backyard was completely hardscaped back in the spring. Okay. And um, it, it's taking a lot of work, but then that I'm going to have to wrap that up soon, and hopefully I'll start working on the house. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, so. at least you, you don't even need the house. You can just sit out on a nice patio, and you've got really <laughs> something awesome to admire. So wonderful. Well, listen, thanks for calling, and, you know, keep the phone number for the show because I want to hear back from you. Okay, sounds great. Thank Have you a very good much, weekend. Actually. Thank you. I love that. Celeste Fig is going to be one of the best ones. And the apples and that pear. Wow, that sounds so good. 404-872-0750. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend and those spooky plants that you could go uh, run and get before Halloween. Next on WSB. Green, Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right, number one. Plant spring flowering bulbs. That's pretty easy. You're going to be happy you did. Tulips, daffodils, all those kinds of things. Uh, Number two, this is from the city of Alpharetta. Yeah, it's not getting below freezing anytime this week. But when it does, you want to go ahead and start thinking about avoiding those costly repairs with cracked water pipes by doing simple things like draining water from outdoor sprinkler supply lines. Also remove drain and store hoses that are used outside. Open the outside hose bibs to allow water to drain. Keep the outside valve open so that any water remaining in the pipe can expand without causing the pipe to break. And also maybe insulate some of the exposed pipes. Just start to get ahead. And number three, start working to eliminate invasive vines like kudzu, poison ivy, English ivy. You got Virginia creeper, all of those. This is a really comfortable time of year to go after them. They're more susceptible to chemical control now. I've had success using something like BioAdvance Brush Killer and a blue bottle or Ortho Ground Clear, and you may have to do repeat applications. All right, some of the spooky plants that I wanted to tell you about for Halloween. Uh, if you want these on the front porch for trick-or-treaters, if you're going to a Halloween party and you want to host this gift and we don't need any more candy, um, alcohol is welcome. But these these are kind of cool, too. So Atlanta Botanical Gardens, years ago, I saw their um, bat plant, and their bat plant is so cool. you got to get on my Facebook page and see it. It looks just like a bat with all these whiskers, these plumes coming out of the middle. Um, there's also Chinese lantern, which is like papery little lanterns that grow on the, the plant the, it, itself. And they're orange. They look like little pumpkins from a distance. Spider plant, of course, sends off all the babies, all the shoots if it's in a hanging basket, all the little tiny ones that come off of it. Now, something that's interesting, ghost plant. Um, I don't know that that's going to really be seen here unless it's at a botanical garden, but like these see-through iridescent white flowers and they kind of grow uh, glow in the dark a little bit kind of cool and then of course pitcher plant and you got venus fly trap and those both devour their victims with no regrets so a pitcher plant is going to be really cool a long tubular flower that just literally opens up and takes in a fly or something or a bee that goes down its throat those are good for boggy type areas and then a venus fly trap i mean that's just kind of a cool little house plant why would you not want one of those I remember that game when we were kids, the Venus flytrap type game, and you threw the red and the black marbles in it, and I can't remember what it was called, probably something like that. 
Um, but cool. Those are those are cool, spooky things. Not to mention, pumpkins are probably getting marked down right now. So now's the time to go ahead and grab some of those and keep them for the fall harvest decorations. More of your calls and Pike Nursery coming up at 830. We're going to be talking about Japanese maples, more colorful trees coming up. 404-872-0750.